This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, back to the field. Base is loaded. The pitch for Yanni. Here it comes. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron. Swings and hits it deep. Get up, baby. Get up. Get up. It's a grand Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby and the Countdown to Opening Day Show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome into another edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Amron. I'm Chris Raby on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Happy to be with you again this week as we are just two weeks away from Major League Baseball season getting underway. The Cardinals will open in Milwaukee and after their first road trip in three weeks, we'll be back in St. Louis for opening weekend and their first homestand with the Padres coming to town to kick things off here in downtown St. Louis. Coming up on the show tonight, we'll talk with a couple of Cardinals, Adam Wainwright, Andrew Robinson, plus hitting coach Jeff Albert. We'll also visit with Harold Reynolds and Steve Phillips, plus another edition of our performance director, Dr. Robert Butler, and we'll check in on opening weekend and more with Dan Farrell from the club. That's all coming your way with yours truly, Mike Claiborne and Tom Ackerman. Our executive producer is Ben Boyd, Mike Anderson here in our Cardinals Network studios, and a big thanks as always to Ann Carroll from the Cardinals Radio Network. Tom Ackerman joins us from our broadcast center in Jupiter, Florida. Tom, another week, two weeks from tomorrow, the Cardinals are playing baseball, and we continue to see things take take shape in camp. Oh, and that great to know that two weeks yeah. from tomorrow we're going to be at Miller Park for the Cardinals and the Brewers. It's exciting. It is coming, and that means that the players, you know, the pressure's starting to come on a little bit. I mean, we've seen that. It's exciting. We're seeing things take shape. We're seeing the rotation start to take shape. The bullpen. There are still some decisions to be made, though, and in the infield and. Quite possibly the outfield so and catcher. So there's still a lot that the Cardinals have to figure out between now and then. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of what we've learned because a lot of news and some storylines that continue to develop. And let's begin with Carlos Martinez, who spoke with the media today. An update from Mike Schilt as well, Tom. Yeah, so Mike Schilt said this, that Carlos is going to play catch tomorrow. That being Thursday, he's going to play catch tomorrow, and then they're going to see in a week, reevaluate him and figure it out from there. He will not appear in a spring game down here, obviously. I mean, we're talking about a week and a half till we leave here. So he will not appear in a spring game, but he is going to play catch, and that, Schultz said, is a tribute to the work that he's done to strengthen his shoulder to get to this point. Now, the cynics will say, yeah, you know, when are we going to see him? Never. Well, I mean, I, I'm not so sure that uh, he couldn't be shaped into a heck of a reliever because if you get him, let's say, at some point in the 2019 season early on and he shows up and can pitch out of your bullpen, who's to say he couldn't go right back to being the closer that he was a year ago and be a weapon in that area? They have not made that declaration, but for right now, the fifth starter spot is going to be taken by somebody else, and when Carlos Martinez comes back, 
you're talking about a bullpen potentially with Martinez and Alex Reyes and Jordan Hicks and Andrew Miller. <laughs> I'm telling I mean, if they're healthy, right? And if they have their stuff, I would not want to be facing those guys late in the game so because of the stuff that they have. Tom Ackerman with us on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren. Yeah, I've seen it kind of tossed around a bit that there could be almost like a like a Super Bowl pen. At the same time, you know, you're not precluding guys from taking on larger roles later in the season, but at least for Reyes, he'd be at the big league level. You'd be able to control his innings. For Carlos, you could bring him along, and then who knows what happens later, but that's a lot of firepower potentially even with the guys already in the bullpen like Miller and Hicks. It's a lot. Now, they do have to work on things. There's a lot of ifs. Carlos Martinez hasn't shown that he can pitch yet, and Alex Reyes is still taking the steps to get back to that level, but Reyes yesterday pitched a scoreless inning and struck out two and actually could have gotten out of it in about 11 pitches, but there was an error at third base by Drew Robinson. Then he just went out and struck out another guy. So he ended up with two strikeouts, and the last out – was made on uh, caught stealing uh, that Joe Hudson threw out a runner at second base. So he ended up facing only three people anyway. Uh, the Cardinals could have could have Jordan Hicks in a ninth inning role, but he needs to be a little bit better than he was today where he walked three to his credit. He got out of it. A bases loaded jam. He struck out a very good hitter in Brian Anderson of the Marlins and got out of the jam. Um, but that's a big if. And then there are the ifs that always will surround Andrew Miller because of some injury history. But I'll tell you, what I've seen down here is a very tough lefty to deal with. Miller looks good to me. So I, that is, uh, if at all, if it all fires at once, it could be a deadly bullpen. It really could. All right, so let's talk about the fifth spot in the rotation then. We know right now at least it is Michaelis, Flaherty, then Waka and Wainwright, and the fifth starter. Dakota Hudson pitched today. John Gant is out of options. I would imagine Hudson, well, certainly Gant's going to be on this team. Hudson has a great chance to be on the team. And then you're a little more flexible with Ponce de Leon and Austin Gomber. So not to take anything away from either of those two, but I want to focus on Hudson and Gant. And I wonder in your eyes, with the flexibility that Gant has shown in the ceiling of Hudson, if you think Dakota has perhaps the inside track for the fifth spot in the rotation. I do think he has the inside track for that reason. I will say this, though, that John Gant is a lot like Dakota Hudson. He just has a little more experience. He might not have some of the electric stuff that Hudson has, but he does what he does. I mean, he gets ground ball outs. He's a machine. You can rely on him. He can go out there and give you innings. Now, he's going to pitch tomorrow in a squad game. He'll give two innings. He pitched an inning yesterday. He is Mr. Reliable, and they like that about him. He provides comfort. What Hudson provides is excitement and a very high ceiling. Now, Hudson went out there today, and he pitched three innings. He threw 69 pitches. He threw a lot of change-ups and a lot of curveballs, a lot of off-speed stuff kind of getting away from the sinking fastball uh, slider. And it's interesting, Chris, because he's competing for a spot in the rotation, but at the same time, he's also working on stuff. And he's working on secondary pitches that he can throw for strikes. So there's a balance there. All he's going to do is continue to work on those things to become the better pitcher. I think he thinks that that's part of this competition. You know what? He's right. Because part of the competition is how do you prepare every day? Do they like the, your potential? If he can go out and show that he can throw four pitches for strikes, then he becomes an even more valuable starter to them, I think. And I think he does have the inside track. 
but I would not count out John Gant. I, I, I agree with you to focus on those two. Ponce de Leon is a very likable starter. Gomber has kind of been trying to find his fastball and maybe feeling the pressure of the moment. He's never been through trying to fight for a spot in a rotation in the big leagues, and maybe that has gotten him a little bit, but he still has a chance to be very good for this team. You know, I think that it's a really good point, working on things and having the conviction to work on them in game settings. Austin Gomber working on a slider that he never threw before this spring. He worked on it with Andrew Miller, then threw it in games. Dakota Hudson working on things. And, you know, it's a fine line. Mike Schultz admitted that some guys, you know, it would be easy to maybe try to get your outs and show what the coaching staff wants to see rather than have the courage to go out and work on things when part of that learning curve at some point will be some sort of failure. That's right. And so you've got to make sure that uh, you have yourself prepared for the regular season. And, uh, you know, and you, you have to go out there if you're Hudson and work on those other pitches too and get yourself ready to go and make sure you have the full arsenal. I think that's admirable. And the same thing goes for Gomber, who came in determined to throw that slider. He worked with Andrew Miller to try to figure out how to throw that slider effectively. And it's good. Uh, the fastball, as I said, missed – some location. He had a little trouble. He's given up some home runs. I'd like to see him again. So the plan is this. They're going to go. They had Hudson today, Gant tomorrow. Ponce de Leon is going to pitch on Friday night at Houston. The Cardinals play split squad on Friday. So Wainwright will be here in Jupiter. Ponce de Leon will be in Houston So I, or in West Palm. i got to figure out which one I want to go to, right? I like, I like making those choices. Yeah. And then you have Saturday or Sunday, somewhere in there, this weekend, Gomber will either start a game or he'll piggyback a game. And as of right now, it hasn't been officially announced, but they'll get there. Let's talk uh, for a moment about Alex Reyes a little bit more in depth. Not just his role, Tom, but the way he's gone about it this spring. John Mozilak told Klaibs uh, and me our first countdown showdown there. It was important for them to make him a regular participant in camp. Not in the rehab group a regular participant. With that being said, I think he started to move along uh, at a more, I guess, accelerated is the right word, pace than anyone maybe expected. I know there's been some caution with him, but knowing Alex, the kind of guy he is, the work he's put in, the way the organization feels about him, the way his teammates feel about him, what's it been like to see him now get a couple of games under his belt? Chris, you and I saw him pitch. Uh, We saw him while we were on the Tampa side, and he did have a little bit of control problems, but he did have the ability, you could see, to work out of some of those issues, and he still had the electric stuff. What I saw from him yesterday was just I saw the way he was, just his body language. I felt he looked comfortable in control, whether it was throwing a, a ball over to first to keep the runner close to the bag or whether he was the way he was working with the catcher, and at that time it was Joe Hudson. The way his pitches were moving, his breaking ball looked really good, and he was throwing it for strikes. I, I just feel like he's starting to settle in, and that was just a matter of time. You know, there's one. It's one thing to do it on the practice field or in in live BP or whatever. Yeah. But it's the other. It's a completely other thing when you're facing somebody with another uniform and there are fans and there's, you know, a situation happening. And he has now been through a lot of those mound visits. Uh, problems out there, getting out of a jam. And in the case of yesterday, an error that should have been an easy out at third base, and he got through it and fought through it. So I I think all of those things are positives, and I believe that Alex Reyes will be coming out of the Cardinals' bullpen 
and will be a real force, a real threat. I think that is the goal here, is to come out of here with Alex Reyes sitting in your bullpen on March 28th in Milwaukee. All right, thanks, Tom. More news from everything happening in camp coming up throughout the show. Kickoff Cardinals opening weekend on Saturday, April 6th, when 30,000 fans age 16 and older are surprised at the gates with a mystery Hall of Fame parade bobblehead, courtesy of Ford. Will it be Ozzie Smith, Whitey Herzog, or Bruce Suter? Get your tickets today at cardinals.com slash promotions. Let's take a break. Come back. We'll head into the clubhouse and chat with Drew Robinson next. We are just getting started on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren right here on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show with Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby on KMOX. Well, it's our first visit with Drew Robinson, newly with the Cardinals. And first of all, Drew, Welcome to St. Louis, but more importantly, talk a little bit about the differences between Texas and what you're seeing here in St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to find my way, but the first thing that stands out is just the organizations are in a different spot in their in their development. I would say, you know, we have a pretty legit team going forward right now, and not saying that the Rangers don't, but um, I think we're just a little more developed with our core, and we're a little more farther along in like the winning process i think with the rangers they're they're more in the developmental stage of getting their guys together and helping them learn to uh we're in a learning phase more like more than uh than we are here and now we're with the cardinals i feel like we're just you know we're 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 going for it and i think it's understood by the talent that we have here and the guys we have here so i think that's the biggest difference is just like more so just the timing of the organizations and where they're at with the winning process and for you you were traded to come in to be that guy you can you carry a lot of gloves to the ballpark you play multiple positions what's that like knowing hey i'm gonna have a legitimate chance to contribute to a team that's got a chance to win yeah i mean it's just it's really exciting i mean for me you know I, i'm still learning my way finding my way as a big league player and to be able to have a chance to, to crack a lineup or crack the roster with a team like this who has the potential to do what we do this year um for me, it's just really exciting, and I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. You got off to a good start swinging the bat. If you had a preference, what's your position? What position do you like playing most? Or as most guys say, whatever position that keeps me in the big leagues. Yeah, that's that's always my answer. And I get asked that a lot just with the role that I'm in. But I've honestly just grown to like all the positions. Each position has its own little quirk or one little play that makes it each, each one of them fun in their different way. And it's something I've been doing my whole life, so it's something I'm – I'm enjoying and uh, you know it's just uh, that's not really something that's not really one position that stands out for me I just kind of like all of them you just want to play that's right yeah talk a little bit about when you start to develop in your switch hitter you can do a lot of things but at this point what are some of the things you try and work on to make yourself a be noticeable and b be a contributor you know I mean I think the main thing is everyone is just trying to get better with their craft um, everyone here has the talent the physical talent to do a lot of things um, for me I think it's more of a mental side and that's that's something I'm, I've been learning and I didn't learn at the, the rate I needed to when it first coming forward or first coming into professional baseball but that's something that I'm slowly starting to get the grasp of and for me I'm just really excited to get to continue to grow and uh, learn from guys and it's only helping me now that I'm in a or- different organization and learning from different guys I got Carp, Goldie, Yachty, guys like that. Um, it's only going to help me moving forward. You know, it's amazing. You, you talk about the mental side. Um, everybody can play this game physically, but it is more of a mental challenge, and I think we give people credit for. Yeah, definitely. I think that's 
that's the separator. I mean, like I said, a lot of guys can do a lot of things physically, but it's the guys who are able to control themselves mentally and and uh, see the game in a different way. And I think that's through their mental side and mental preparation. So I think I think the mental side has always been the, the, the differentiator and the, the separator for players who, you know, like I said, are pretty similar on paper, but in their in, inside, in their heart, in their in their mind, they're a little bit farther advanced than the player next to them. What players you admire growing up? I was always a Ken Griffey Jr. fan, and I actually we have the, we have him in camp here. I was a really big Raphael Fakal fan. Um, you got a chance to meet him today. I got a chance to meet him, and even Jim Edmonds. I mean, those are those weren't my top three, but those were those those. It was Griffey, and then the next you know the next, the next like seven or eight guys. Those those two were definitely in there. So it's uh it's definitely eye opening, and I was a little uh, I was kind of uh, fan fanboying a little bit <laughs> earlier today. Now, when you see Edmonds the next time, tell them when you were a real young child, how they used to bring you in your crib, in, in your in your stroller when you used to come watch him play. He'll love that. Oh, yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to mention it to him. <laughs> make sure you were like an infant, and that would really make him feel old. Are you a guy that will go up to the, some of these guys and talk to them? Because one of the reasons why they're here is to help you guys. So how have you been able to deal with that? Yeah, I definitely. I've. I actually wasn't early on in my career. I was a little more shy, but um, getting out of my shell a little bit with the Rangers and getting around those those top level guys like Beltre, um, you know, at first I was a little intimidated by him, just being a new guy. But I learned to talk to him, and so now moving forward with these guys, all I've been doing is trying to pick their brain in certain situations and um, just trying to absorb anything I can from them because you know they've been through so many things already. So um, it can only help to talk to them, and even if it's not really something I'm looking forward to, just kind of start the conversation and, and just see where it goes and see what I can learn from him. And what a pro, Beltre. Uh, we had a chance to experience him, obviously, in the World Series and in interleague play, but everybody who plays with him just says he's just a consummate professional. Yeah, he is. He's definitely a professional is a really good word to describe him. Um, yeah, he was just a, like a really humble guy for the stuff that he accomplished in his career, and he was always, I mean, everyone knows how much fun he had playing the game, so... Just being around him, he was more of a guy that I learned from watching. I didn't need to talk to him too much because he set a good enough example just by doing, like, basically walking the walk. He was able, you were able to just kind of watch what he was doing. You were, you should have a pretty good understanding what he was trying to do. So he was a guy that was really fun to watch and fun to learn from him. Well, it's nice to meet you and have a great spring, and we look forward to seeing you jump out of one of those trucks on opening day in St. Louis. I <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks for having me. For the very best in Cardinals coverage, it's Cardinals Magazine. Subscribe today and receive two free tickets to see the Redbirds at Bush this summer. Order at 314-345-9000 or cardinals.com slash publications. A quick break, and we're back. Steve Phillips, former Big League GM, now analyst, joins us next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. It's a countdown to opening day show presented by Amron on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Steve Phillips is here at spring training, and he's always a, a guy I like talking to and certainly enjoyed your work over the years. Let's talk a little bit about this Cardinal team and where you see them going so far in 2019. Well, I think it's a really competitive division. I mean, you start thinking about, you know, we know the Cubs are good, the Brewers are good, the Reds are an improved team, no question. They've added to that pitching staff, and they have a solid offensive club. Uh, and the Pirates, their young starting rotation with Tyone's emergent right now with Archer in the mix there as well. They've got a chance to, uh, to be dangerous. So it's a really deep division. Uh, but there's no reason why the Cardinals can't compete for the top of this division. You know, I told somebody I think that you may have all the teams in this division at 500 or better. 
You might. You very well may. I, I think there's a real good chance of that. I know a lot of the different projection sites have it real close, where like the maybe the last place team has 79 wins. Uh, the depth of the Central and the depth of the National League East are really significant. I mean, obviously the Marlins not going to compete in the East, but they're four deep uh, as well, and probably they're four are comparable maybe to the top three here in the Central. Uh, so the National League playoff race between division titles and the wild card is going to be really challenging. And I always caution people that don't worry about the record. Look at the competition because you could be in the American League East and go beat up Baltimore 18 times a year, and all of a sudden your record looks more lofty compared to being in a division like this where, you know, everybody's going to beat each other's brains out. Well, you know, one of the challenges will be for the wild card race uh, is, you know, you're going to play teams 19 times. So in the in the National League East, you know, the good teams are playing, you know, or the, for instance, you know, they're playing teams 19 times. You're talking about, what, 57 games against uh, the opposition. So it's going to be a real challenge. And, and so you look at the National League West, where they might be too deep, I look at them really with the Dodgers and Rockies as the most competitive. Uh, there may be some uh, the, some advantage there for them because they've got a lesser division. They can beat up on the division rivals when it comes to that wild card race. So, I've always looked at it that if you're a playoff team, you'll find your way to the playoffs. But there are going to be some really good teams that end up not getting there. You you've been a general manager. You've been in the front office, and you've seen a lot of things unfold here recently. What are some of the trends that you're watching? that are being implemented, be it analytic or being how the game is being played as well as taught? Yeah, I think the one thing that's dramatically different is the velocity uh, of the fastballs today. I mean, you know, I was talking to Jim Edmonds a little bit earlier today about that high velocity. And, you know, one of the things that you hear pretty consistently from hitters around the game, though, is that since everybody's throwing 98, it's become the norm. And you, you just have that sort of internal clock that slows it down and you're able to sort of make that adjustment to it. So location matters. So the big thing in the game today is the high fastball and then the breaking ball or the cutter, right? The breaking ball in the dirt to sort of change the hitter's eye level, to move the ball around. You don't see a lot of sinker slider guys anymore, right? The top of the zone is where, where hitters are getting out. I mean, defensively, you know, the analytics are such that shifting's a major part of the game, positioning a major, major part of the game, that you have guys almost with armbands like football players would for, for play calling to sort of know where to position themselves. Uh, and what we've seen, I think the Tampa Bay Rays are really remarkable in that way. I remember talking to Kevin Cash, their manager, I said to him, how many games would you have won last year if he had not used the opener? He said, I don't know the number, but it wouldn't have been 90. Uh, and so that structure, that system worked for them. And for smaller market teams, the ability to try to find ways to get the most, right, to, 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 to get every little bit out of your roster is what they're trying to do. And that's where analytics have come in and, and teams have gained advance. Now, what's challenging now is everybody's doing it. And so where's the next advantage is what everybody's looking for. You mentioned Tampa Bay, and I'd be remiss without bringing them up. If they're in any other division, who knows what they can do? I mean, that, that team is stacked from top to bottom. They've got the Cy Young Award winner. They've got some good young arms that are going to be ready to go. That, that to me, is the ultimate dark horse of any of the teams in the American League. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, 90 wins last year, and, and I think they're better this year. Uh, and you know that Tampa, uh, that Baltimore and Toronto are rebuilding, so they may be able to make some ground on them as well in that wild card race. You know, I think that the the other thing that Tampa Bay has that is not typical for a small market team is they have depth, mm -hmm. and that's the other thing that has really changed in the game is is versatility. So you think back to when we were little leaguers, you know, you played any position on the field, they moved you around. Where everybody can do that now, 
and there are some guys who actually can pitch and play a position right now, right? So we're seeing somewhat of going back to the grassroots of baseball. But that versatility is important. The Dodgers, a couple years, two years ago, went to the World Series. They didn't have a single starter that made 30 starts, and they didn't have a single position player that drove in 100 runs or scored 100 runs. Yet they had the best record in the National League. And the reason for that is, you know, we hear about wins above replacement. Where, where the Dodgers have gained an advantage is they don't have the most impactful players, but they have a roster of all above average players so that when somebody's out, it's an above average player replacing him. So they never have the letdown. They never have that sort of losing streak. Uh, and they rest their pitchers to maximize the performance of their pitchers. So it's kind of the new way of doing it. And the Tampa Bay Rays have a lot of depth and position players right now to be able to do it. And, and the, the opener gives them a creative way to get the most out of their pitching as well. I'm going to go back to that for a second and talk a little bit about how important it is, I think, even for kids to learn how to play more than one position. You know, with the selecting the travel teams and all that, I want to play shortstop and pitch. If you, the more gloves you bring to the ballpark, the better opportunity you're going to have, not only to have a major league career, but a lengthy major league career. Yeah, one of the challenges uh, in player development today is that I, I, I've always believed that kids learn the instincts of the game, how to move in time and space and what your reaction time is and how to cover ground and what angles to take. I think you learn that by playing pickup baseball. You do it when you're a kid. It's really hard to learn instincts and reactions once you get to the major leagues. You kind of have that ingrained in you already. And so many kids today are learning baseball in a batting cage. Right, so let's go to the batting cage. We've got practice today. What are we doing? Oh, we're going to the batting cage. We're going to hit off a tee. We're going to do soft toss. And all those are really good and important, but they're not teaching you decision-making at a fast pace. And that's really what the best players can do. And, and so uh, it is a bit of a challenge, but I, I'm, I'm all for guys playing multiple sports. I'm all for guys playing multiple positions. I think that, that it's important for everybody to have pitched at some time to be able to understand that. I'd love to see everybody catch it sometime to be able to understand it because I think it gives you a whole different awareness of the game and the ability to think along with everybody else, which is, which is really what team defense is all about. You mentioned catching. I think organizations should also develop a third catcher for their ball club. I mean, you know, you, you're going to use two, and you may be in a pinch where if you have a guy who can catch just a little bit late in a ball game or just buy you some time to try and win a game, I think that's important. But we just – the way it's done now, they just look down the dugout and say, hey, can anybody catch? Yeah. If you develop a guy in spring training, let him take some innings on one of the backfields, who knows what that can do for you down the stretch? Well, there's no question. I, I think the other thing that we've seen is – and then last year was way over the top, was the number of position players who pitched in games. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, and, and the logic is, the analytics of that says, if it's a wasted inning in a game where we don't have a legitimate chance to win, then let's not waste an arm that could help us win a legitimate game. Uh, and so we'll throw somebody out there. But I think that, that I would love for there to be some better way to do it. I, I don't love, I, I, as a general manager, I was embarrassed if I left my manager in a position where we didn't have enough pitching to get through a game, even on a blowout game, I, I just, I, I didn't, I felt embarrassed by it. Uh, and I'd love for there to be that. Now we see like a guy like Matt Davidson, who is with the white Sox, who's now with Tampa Bay. Uh, he's a guy that they're going to look to maybe pitch a little bit because they did find out something about it. He's got a good arm. Uh, and so a guy that could maybe do a dual role, to almost at times keep the game from getting to be a complete blowout because maybe you can use him. 
He's not the prototypical position player pitching. He's better than that, but he's you're not wasting a guy who you might use in a game where maybe you've got a 4-3 lead. You know, you're everywhere on radio and TV, so I want to make sure everybody can find you because you always have great insight. You know, I'm on MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM, Sirius 209, XM 89. Uh, do the morning show called The Leadoff Spot. Eduardo Perez, who certainly yeah. Cardinals fans are familiar with. Eduardo Perez and CJ Nikowski are my co-hosts. Love doing the show. We're obviously on our tour uh, throughout spring training. Also do some TV work with TS in Canada as their sort of baseball insider. So, uh, but it's a lot of fun being on this side of it and, and getting a chance to talk about it. The Cardinals Kids Club presented by Rawlings is the exclusive fan club for kids 13 and under. Membership includes two tickets to a 2019 Cardinals home game, a Yadier Molina pillowcase, Fredbird mug, lunch bag, and more. Special price of $30 through April 30th. Join at cardinals.com slash kids club. More from the director of performance, Dr. Robert Butler, next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show with Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby on KMOX. Well, it's always great to visit with Dr. Robert Butler. He is the director of performance for the St. Louis Cardinals. And what would be three things that you would say to a parent just to get them on the right track as they watch their kid grow? The CDC guidelines of 60 minutes of activity five out of seven days a week are just imperative. And, uh, you know, you can, you can take you into account the structured timeline, but it's really the free play. That, and if I had to look at one thing that even as my kids, even as I feel like I'm missing just not setting up the right environment like my parents did for me, it's that free play time. Right, Have we gotten away from that as a society because, I mean, I'm a little older than you, and I know when, as soon as you got outside, you found something to do, and you didn't need a uniform. You didn't need a coach. You just did things, um, and it was playing. Yeah. So now there's a lot more structure. No doubt. I'll bring up two things that, that, that to kind of leverage this one. But You should look up Aspen Institute Project Play. They have eight initiatives to, to reinstill play in our youth. And, you know, if you look at the um, – if you look at the reduced access, the increased obesity, you know, it's interesting look at some of the obesity numbers and childhood obesity because, you know, for, for boys, we're only about 2% uh, higher than number two related to the incidence of obesity in children. For girls, we're a little bit different than that. But if you look at the number third country, we're almost double the rate, the incidence of obesity for childhood. So, listen, you can look to one versus two. We're not that much far better, far worse. We, we can get out of that. I mean, listen, you don't want to be the most obese in anything. Right. But if you look at where we are compared to the third country down our peer countries, we have so much work and so much improvement to do. And listen, I don't know. I don't think it's just screen time. I think it's what are the other opportunities we have for people to, for, for young children and kids to engage in these things. Right, whether it's adult playgrounds or you know middle school play-based playgrounds where they can climb on monkey bars and do other things like that and have it accessible. But anyway, the the project play out of the Aspen Institute came up with eight different plays are looking to reinstill activity and wellness and health in our community. And number four was centralized access to recreational areas. Right, access to to exercise and recreation in itself five days a week reduces the health care costs of an individual every year by $2,500, $2,500, right? So when you look at some of these small areas of a city or small section of the city, we're like, oh, we'll just put a high rise there. Or, oh, we'll just put a condo there. And you know what? Oh, there's that little open space of grass that no one really uses. Well, why don't people use it? Why, why don't they access it, right? What's, what's missing there that maybe we could create or support? And one of the really unique things that I, that I think that I think will instill a lot, but 
if you look at what U.S. soccer is doing right now and their quest to develop to get back into the to the streds of World Cup tendencies, Kyle Martino, a, a former U.S. player, and he's obviously done a lot of broadcasting now with NBC, but he's brought up the idea of Street FC, where he has these pop-up goals that literally he pops up in the middle of anywhere, and whenever he travels to a city, they go with him. It's nothing, nothing robust. It fits in the overhead compartment. They take care of it. And that type of work, like, like how do you drop a, a – how do you drop a wiffle ball set in the middle of Central Park and just let people go at it? I mean, I, there are some of the most fun times I had was looking silly in, in my backyard because someone just threw this ridiculous break on this ball that, and, you know, laughing all, all the way to the ground. Yeah. And some of the and on the other side of that, some of the best times I had was putting the ball over my neighbor's fence and chasing that down and running after their dog. Very sandlot-ish, right? But it's, it, it, you know, how do you get that enthusiasm for what happens with that? And the encouragement and just, just, just the, the pure, the social encouragement from that. Getting back to those opportunities, I think, can really be a nice way to lead us out of this single sport focus. And, you know, so more unstructured play without a doubt. If you want your child, if you look at the Super Bowl rosters, Major League Baseball World Series rosters, all the rosters high level, they're full of three level, three sport athletes. They're full of them, right? And one of the things that Aspen, the project play did is they said, hey, listen, if you want your if your child excels in this one sport, here's some other sports that they may they may benefit their overall robustness of their success in that sport. But more overload at 12 or 11 or 10. So four three quarter year old boy that named the Velociraptor, he's he's the third child and he's just runs all the places. He's our first boy. So we didn't know what we were getting into. Um, the Velociraptor has now picked up Taekwondo and it's perfect for him because he's required to now get a sense of calm and get a sense of structure while he's going through a very mentally connected activity. Whereas when, listen, when he's swinging a ball and he's playing t-ball up here and, and like just knocks on a ball and there's some of that there, but it's, it's different, right? But the one thing that those t-ball and um, Taekwondo have is rotational power, right? And, you know, Greg Rosau's title is one of the, my favorite quotes is, listen, I'll take speed in a 10-year-old over direction because I can't get back speed, but I can get back direction. I can go right. find a compass. No doubt. No, yeah. doubt. no doubt. And so, so and the, what we, and if I were to, listen, the, right now the Velociraptor plays whatever sports he wants to play, but a nice little pair to that would be, okay, how do we gain just general aerobic capacity in a five-year-old? And listen, this is a little too far. I don't want to pretend that I'm some sort of, you know, Olympic supervisor to my child who will just likely be a very good, um, you know, know, hopefully history teacher at some high school locally. Um, But he likes to play soccer, so he runs around. So that's how he builds his aerobic capacity. He's chasing that little ball around that he kicks wherever he wants to. And so finding those couplets of sports and activities, particularly ones that parents can even engage in, like we, one of the big, the biggest connectors of sports in our county, in Martin County, is the YMCA. It's very important. And what's an op- what's an open field look like for for the parents to have a little 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 uh, just little pickup game right there while the kids have their structured practice? Yeah. That's the parents. That's the parents' activity for that day. That's their 30, 45 minutes in. Listen, I don't have to get out of my slacks or out of my Chuck Taylors or whatever it is. Just go knock the ball around, run around a little bit, get the heart rate up. Let me let me run this by you because you made a great point about singular sports has there ever been a study done because we see it so much today that athletes today are better because they play a singular sport or if you the more you play the better you can be at the sport you find yourself being more successful at so i I think we find that the exact opposite the most consistent finding we find in the the you know one single sport versus multi-sport athlete is single sport athletes get hurt 
way more often. Really? Right? Yeah. And if and I don't want to be overly dramatic about this, but if you look at one of the most important crises that's occurring right now related to musculoskeletal health in our country, it's the opioid crisis. Right. Well, it, it, it starts because of beat-up joints and beat-up bodies that is not facilitated by someone playing the exact same sport from the time they're 10. So the strongest recommendation that we'd give is, you know, as many sport athletes as possible until they're 15, 16, freshman, sophomore in high school, they'll get there. They'll get there. If they have that robustness related to their athleticism, they'll figure it out, right? And so, so, but, and they won't have as much wear and tear on their bodies, right? Look at Bob Gibson, Harlem Globetrotter. Yeah. Also an okay pitcher. He did okay. Right? He did okay. He did okay. Um, changed some rules, changed some mountain heights. So, um, but no, he, when I think about like what the model of, um, what could potentially create that robustness of that athleticism, I think we have some great examples in our history. And really trying to recreate what that looks like is really just to pay attention and listen more as opposed to thinking that we got all the answers. But certainly what the suggestion now is away from the single sport, back to put the athlete first, and then whatever they their skill suggests they're going to be good at, that comes second. While the Cardinals' bats are heating up in Florida, we are firing up the new grills of the Budweiser Burger Bar in St. Louis. When you're at the ballpark this season, be sure to head to the Budweiser Terrace on the fourth level of Bush Stadium to try the new Budweiser Burger Bar featuring handmade craft burgers with a Budweiser twist. We're back to wrap up Hour 1 of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren right here on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. It's the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron, on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Welcome back to Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Amron for the very best in Cardinals coverage. It's Cardinals Magazine. Subscribe today and receive two free tickets to see the Redbirds at Bush this summer. Order at 314-345-9000 or at cardinals.com slash publications. All right, a big thanks to our guests this hour, Drew Robinson, Steve Phillips, and Dr. Robert Butler. We're going to come back with Harold Reynolds and a visit with Cardinals hitting coach Jeff Albert, plus a chat with Adam Wainwright as the pitching staff continues to round into form. We'll also tell you about what's going on at opening weekend at Bush Stadium with Dan Farrell. That's all in the hopper for the second hour of the program. We're getting closer and closer to Playing baseball for real. Chris Ramby with you. Mike Claiborne, Tom Ackerman as well. Ben Boyd, our executive producer. Mike Anderson in the house here in the Cardinals Network Studios. And we're back with Hour 2 of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren and the Cardinals Radio Network. All right, back to the field. Bases loaded. The pitch for Yanni. Here it comes. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Ameren. Swings and hits it deep. Get up, baby. Get up. Get up. It's a grand Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby and the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Harold Reynolds is our guest, and it's always good to see you. We see you doing so much with MLB these days. How much fun are you having with the gig? Because you, you've been talking baseball all your life. You played it, and now you're talking to it again. Uh, it's. It, I mean, come on. Am I working? I mean, really, seriously. This is nice, man. I love it. It's fun. I'd be doing it if I was sitting at home anyway. So uh, it's nice to get out. I love spring training because everybody's more relaxed. Uh, you can really get the players to, to to open up and talk about certain things that are foundations for them. Um, but, you know, it's, it's fun. It's baseball. 
East spring training brings hope and promise to virtually every team. Some teams are trying to get to 500. The rest of them are trying to get to postseason. But it seems like it's a different approach in how the game is taught. What are some of the things you notice that are different compared to when you were in your first, second, or third spring training? Well, it's kind of funny. Watching the Cardinals, they're, they're a little bit of a throwback watching their workouts today. Uh, but the game has changed, obviously, with the power. You know, everything's power pitching and, and power hitting. And guys trying to hit home runs. The nuances are not quite as uh, taught or preached in the game anymore. Simple fundamentals like bunting, hit and run. When was the last time you saw a hit and run in the game? You know, that's uh, you're going to find one or two teams that do it, but not the consistent. When I played, there was 30 teams that had a hit and run. You had bunt defenses. You had different plays that you had to uh, make sure you defended on. Uh, those have gone out the, water, the window a little bit. But uh, it's about power. That's where the game's changed, more so than anything else. Is that good for the game? Because you can hit... 35, 40 home runs and strike out 200 times and get paid $20 million? Well, I'm a guy who loves fundamentals, and I think there's a lot of ways to win games. Um, and I've, I've watched games be won or lost on a simple first and third defensive play. So I still think that's a great weapon. Um, so, yeah, I don't like it as much. I think there's a, we're losing some of the athleticism. I know we talk about how great the athletes are today compared to yesteryear. But we're not using that full package of them. You know, and I'd love to see that come back. You say that, and I always ask this question. They're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger, but are they better? Well, they're bigger, stronger, faster, and I'll fight better all day long. I don't think they're better because of the reasons that we're pointing at. I just, and, and not that they couldn't. I just think the game's taught differently. Yeah. It's like watching an NBA game. A center doesn't matter anymore. You know, it's all about a three-pointer. And so are we going to say they're better than maybe the years before? Uh, no, I think it's just a different game, you know, being played. So um, I, I just think in everything, the fundamentals were totally different. Even in our, our country, the fundamentals were totally different. What would you like to see brought back and would be stressed more fundamentally? Well, I think I would love to see the game uh, of baseball played, meaning – I'd love to eliminate so many strikeouts. I'd like to see guys move runners with a runner on second, no outs. You know, you got to remember, I'm looking at it from a perspective of I watch all 30 teams play every night. You may be a Cardinal fan. You watch the Cardinals and whoever they're playing. So I see it every night. So it multiplies when you see fundamentals not executed. So I'm speaking from a global perspective on this. Uh, so I'd like to see that. I think we leave a lot of runs out there. I think we our players can be bigger and greater. I've never seen uh, shifts like we've seen them, you know, where you're having four outfielders and three infielders and, and, and the hitters are not uh, solving those, those, making that solution yet of being able to hit the ball the other way. We think the other way means drop a bunt. You still hit a ball the other way. And I don't want to sound negative because I think the game's in a good place, but I do think it can be a lot better. And those are little things I think can be better. Let's talk a little bit about the annual question every year, especially around the opening day of the season, the lack of African-American players in the game. Where are we headed with this? Because I know the MLB has tried to do some things to try and encourage it, uh, but it doesn't seem like there's enough real participation. What do we need to do next, and what do you think the reason is for why we don't have the presence that there once was? Well, I mean, it's a loaded question. There's a lot of different ways you can go. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the numbers are actually getting better. 
uh, we do have a great young crop of coming in the last three or four years that was, I've seen through the draft and doing the draft of, of African-American kids that are coming. Uh, but the biggest problem, um, I, I think we got to make the game affordable. Travel balls killed not only the African-American player, but the, the kid in rural America yeah. that, that can't afford it. You know, you're paying $1,000 to travel to go play. And so, yes, we're going to lose athletes. Um, and then the, the other thing is really when you look back at, at college scholarships for baseball, uh, we got to solve that where it's 11.7 and every other sport's getting a full ride. So if I'm 12 or 13, and in my case, I'm the youngest of eight kids, all right, and I played football, basketball, and baseball, and I got recruited in all of them. But if I had to make a decision when I was 13 in today's society, I'd have played football because I know I'm going to school on a full ride. Cornerback. Cornerback, wide receiver, uh, you know, scat back, you know, that guy cutting across the middle, and I'm off, see you later. <laughs> Uh, all that, you know, so, but I would have made a decision at 13 years old and said, there's no future here for, for me because I can't afford it moving forward. I got to play what's affordable. So we got to address that. You know, that's something that's been going on for, what, 30, 40 years. Dabo Sweeney was here a couple of days ago, and he talked about He was a three-sport star in high school, mm-hmm. and he, had, he was going to walk on to play baseball, but then he found out the, the scholarships were limited. He said, I got to go somewhere else. He already had a Pell Grant he had to pay back. But it was one of those deals that I think college baseball drives kids away because of the scholarship issue. And they don't want to address it, especially with the billions of dollars that the NCAA rakes in every year. Well, I, I think the, the oxymoron for college baseball is there's pro baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the college football and basketball are factories for that next level. You almost have to play that, in football's case for sure, to get to that next level. In baseball, you don't. So they've never had that pressure of, you want the best athletes coming to play college baseball? Then open up the scholarships because they go, ah, those kids are going to sign and turn a pro contract anyway. And now we're forcing kids to get into pro baseball yeah instead of having that option of really being able to go play college. It's great to see you, man. Keep up the great work with MLB, and uh, we'll see you in St. Louis, I'm sure, hopefully before postseason. All right, my man. Thank you. Don't forget about the Cardinals Kids Club. It's presented by Rawlings, and it's the exclusive fan club for kids 13 and under. Membership includes two tickets to a 2019 Cardinals home game, a Yadier Molina pillowcase, a Fred Bird mug lunch bag, and more. Special price of $30 through April 30th. Join at cardinals.com slash kids club. Let's take a break. When we come back, the new Cardinals hitting coach, Jeff Albert, joins us on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren, right here on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show with Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby on KMOX. Well, we have a chance to visit with the new Cardinal hitting coach, Jeff Albert, who basically was in this organization for a number of years, went away to hone his skill even more, and now he's back, and it sounds like everybody's happy to have you back. Uh, it's great to be back. I mean, I started with the Cardinals in 2008, um, you know, moved that year to West Palm Beach, and, uh, you know, then eventually to Jupiter, and, um, you know, worked four years in the Florida State League right across the street from the complex. Uh, so, you know, it, it's cool to come back and, um, and be back here with a lot of familiar faces that were here when I started. Let's talk a little bit about being a hitting coach because I don't. I think that's changed a little bit. Uh, hitting coaches used to work on swings and just making sure guys were firing at the right time. 
now you have analytics involved in, in supporting some of the things that you've been able to come up with. There's definitely a lot more information. I try to just look at the information, whether it's video or statistical information, as just a different tool. Uh, and my job is to use those tools or use the best information possible to try to help the players make um, you know better decisions about the things that we're that we're doing and preparing for on a daily basis. And you know, it's not like they've got a lot of time to make a decision in a batter's box. So walk me through some of the things you've tried to implement. And I know you've been a student of the game, and now that you're a hitting coach, now all those things you've been thinking about wanting to implement, you're having a chance to. So what are some of the things you found in the way the game is played today that you're trying to implement now? Well, I think for implementation, what I really like about um, what's been going on here is that it's been very interactive all the way around, not just between the players and the coaching staff, but um, you know the front office, baseball development team. So we're all Cardinals. We're all working together. Uh, we're trying to get the best information possible to help the players, you know, have a clear, not just a clear idea of um, you know their preparation, but then also uh, what are the best ways maybe for each one of those individuals to go about that. So. Um, some of those basic things are like what's happening in terms of the speed of the game, how pitchers might be uh, going after um, other batters like as a group or individuals. Uh, so like what are the tools that we're going to need to have success in the game and then strategy or approach wise, what do we need to be ready for to have the best chance to score runs and win? And you know, it's interesting because you have a bunch of guys to keep an eye on. You and Mark Badaska work together, and everybody's different. Everybody has a different approach. Some guys have different swings. So how do you try and disseminate everybody and be able to find the niche for each person having success? Well, uh, Buddha has been awesome. He, he, you know, he has existing relationships with a lot, a lot of these guys, having spent time in the big leagues last year and just having been in the organization for the, you know, since 2008. He started... Uh, we started actually together the first year in 2008, so we have a, an existing relationship, um, you know, going back, you know, 10 plus years. So um, definitely like different personality and different style, but like coming from the same place. And that's been really cool and really helpful because he might already know like the wording or the way to connect with, you know, the guy, a guy that's been here. So he's been um, very valuable uh, a resource um, for myself and the players just in terms of like communication. Um, and, and just trying to get things off in the right direction. I know earlier this year you worked with a number of players before spring training started, and we, you and I were talking recently about Tyler O'Neill and the home run he hit recently and how he made the point he wouldn't have been able to hit that pitch last year. What were some of the things you tried to get guys to buy into before spring training started so when they got here they had a better approach? Um, I think for, like, in general, it's, hey, what were our strengths um, that we did really well last year. You know, we want to capture those and build on those and then, um, you know, try to figure out what areas of improvement might be out there uh, that, that have obviously a positive um, benefit. I think in Tyler's case, he's kind of able to identify some of those um, and, and look for a way to be a little bit more efficient, a little bit more direct to the ball to maximize his um, you know his power potential, which is if you know if you ever seen him play or if you ever seen him uh, take batting practice, you ever seen him in person, um, is really really impressive uh, tools with the bat. All right, I want to ask you a couple of philosophical questions here. You know, when you were younger, late in the game, reliever was in the game, they'd always say, 
make him throw a strike. Now you see guys looking early in the count because these pitchers have such good stuff that the next pitch after the strike may not be able to one you can drive. So what's your thought on how you approach a late inning at bat? So I think now that's one of the, the, the benefits of the information is that you could say, well, in theory, we want to get on base and take a strike, and, and that sounds good. But then if you have a question or a thought, you can really look at the, the information that's got in report and figure out in a more objective way if that might be the best way to go about it. Um, so if a guy has a wipeout breaking ball or something like that and he throws fastballs early in the count, it might not be a great idea to let the fastball down the middle go by and get to the guy's toughest pitch. So um, the situations change based obviously on the game and the relievers and the guys you have coming up, but you can be a little bit more specific with your approach and your strategy based on whatever the information is. So it's not so much of a blanket statement as like, hey, everyone's going to take a strike here or hey, everyone's going to be aggressive early in the count um, because the, the situation and the pitchers you're facing changes all the time. You even have a different approach about batting practice and how batting practice works from a pitcher standpoint. Talk a little bit about, if you will, how you want to try and approach batting practice where guys can get a realistic look of what it might look like later that evening. So it's, it's just really hard to practice. You know, in baseball, one of the things that is unique is it's very hard to get a practice situation that is like the game. We always talk about, you know, game-like practice and things like that, but uh, unless you're doing live BP against a pitcher that's 60 feet away, um, there's just not many situations where you practice that. So um, it's not always the case. Some guys is better for others, but um, I mean, in general, right, like pitchers in today's game uh, throw harder, and uh, to me, you know, one of the options for batting practice or any other practice situation is just trying to get the speed or the re reaction time closer to what the batter is likely to face in the game. So, I mean, you can really do that anywhere. You can do it at batting practice or pitching machine or whatever the case may be, but there's a few different options of just trying to get the, the guys um, practicing in a way that's a little bit more like what they're going to face in the game. Play like you practice. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Or practice like you play. Which is... Um, you know, it's fine in this in your saying, but if you have to basically try to make the conditions such that that is true, <laughs> you can't just say to play like you practice and then and not uh, shape your practice in a way that reflects what happens in the game. We're going to continue this down the road, but more importantly, thank you for your time today. Best of luck this year, and may you have a half a dozen All-Stars who are just knocking a cover off the ball wearing a Cardinal uniform this year. Uh, that would that would be great. Thank you very much. While the Cardinals' bats are heating up in Florida, we are firing up the new grills of the Budweiser Burger Bar in St. Louis. When you're at the ballpark this season, be sure to head to the Budweiser Terrace on the fourth level of Bush Stadium to try the new Budweiser Burger Bar featuring handmade craft burgers with a Budweiser twist. A quick break, and Adam Wainwright joins us next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Emerin, right here on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Emerin, on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Adam Wainwright, and here's another spring training that you have participated in. When you come in the clubhouse these days and you look around, and you've been in the same spot most of that time, you look around and you look at who used to be in some of those locker slots. I always remember where my lockers were and where 
like the big guys around me were until I got to that spot. You know, I used to be where Gregerson is now, and Carp was where I am now. And then uh, when Carp left, they switched me over there. Um, when I first started, I was over there by Ponce de Leon, and Carp was beside me, and, a and Andy Bennis, Alan Bennis, sorry, Alan Bennis was on the other side of me. And uh, started out, the, actually, the very first time I started out, I was over there by number 106. <laughs> and then Tony liked what he was seeing, and so he moved me over by, by Alan and Carp. But um, that used to be a thing back in the day. Carp would, or uh, Tony would move lockers if he, if he felt like somebody was showing out a little bit, he'd, he'd go to the clubhouse attendants and say, hey, move his locker over there to the, to the good side, you know, and, and that was like a big deal. You just didn't want to be the guy that got your locker moved out of the good spot into the, into the bad spot. Well, you get moved over near the, near the, the uh, lavatory, then that ought to tell you that you got to step it up a little bit. That's right, and I went, from the, I went from the bathroom to the penthouse over there, and I thought I was doing pretty good, you know, and just that's, that's when you know, all right, people are watching, I gotta, now I've gotta, now I got to keep performing. What was it like for you this year to come to camp healthy, feeling good, not having to worry about rehab? Because, you know, we've seen you come in and you're trying to fix things and do this and do that. But now at this stage of your career, what's that feel like? Well, it's been nice. It was nice to have a good off season too. I mean, just to, I went in um, on Mondays and Fridays to where I usually would do rehab and just did like uh, shoulder strengthening stuff and um, uh, active, you know, motion movements, hip hip mobility movements and, and stuff that would improve my play, but not where I was, you know, doing ultrasound and stem and, and icing and, you know, trying to get range of motion into your arm and, you know, swelling out. I mean, it was totally different. It was, it was really... It was really a, a great thing for me this offseason to come in, you know, kind of refreshed and rested from last year, excited about the new year, but also having a good offseason. You know, I remember our last visit in Chicago, that last series, and you didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I remember saying to you, this is it. I appreciate everything you did. But as soon as I finished the interview, I said, this guy's coming back one way or the other. And, and it was something that I know you want to finish on the same sort of note that you walked in here as. That's right. And that same day, I think, or maybe the last game of the season we were in, was in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember I addressed the team, and I was like, hey, the, my, my line was, I don't know if I'll be back. Um, but I'm pitching somewhere, I think. So it's been fun. If it's not here, it's been fun being with you, and um, I've appreciated the time. So it was, you know, I was kind of prepping myself for not being here also, which was not a fun thought. You know, for you um, this year, um, your pencil to be in the rotation, uh, what do you see yourself? I know everybody still wants to go nine. That's almost unheard of these days. But for you, what do you think the ideal outing is for you aside from going nine innings every day? Well, any any starter, their job is to keep their team in the game and to go as far into the game as they can to save the bullpen. And, you know, the best way to have a great bullpen is to have a great starting rotation. Uh, the starters are going out there going six, seven innings every time. Then you can throw your big guys in at the end of the game. Um, makes the game a lot easier. You know, if, 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 uh, if a starter comes out, 
after three or four innings, that affects the entire week, not just in the bullpen, but the other starters and all kinds of things. I mean, there's just that's what I always used to tell people about about a number one starter. A number one starter affects for sure three days out of a five man rotation, for sure. Because you know the day before, the manager can be a little bit more loose with his bullpen because he knows the guy's got it the next day. And then the day afterwards, everyone's rested. So in the day that you're pitching, hopefully everybody gets a good day off too. So, I mean, it's just so many days. Um, out of 162, if you've got a number one pitcher, he, he affects a lot of that, a lot of those games. For you, you know, you were never that guy that threw 98 miles an hour. You, you were a guy that really had the great control and the great breaking ball. But you also had to have some guts to throw pitches in certain counts. How much do you get a kick out of when you throw a lollipop up or you throw something that they're not looking for, especially at this stage of your career? Because you're not beating them with your arm. You're beating them with your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you know, I, I had, when I was going at the top of my top of my game, um, people people have this skewed sense that I was out there throwing 95, 96 every pitch. It just wasn't the case. You know, I've thrown, we looked up the other day, nobody believed me. They, they were like, yeah, when you were winning 20 games a year, you know, you were out there throwing 95, 96. The guy said that right down the road from me in the locker. I said, look it up right now. I said, the hardest pitch I've ever thrown is 97 one time in the playoffs. Look up my average fastball every year. And it's it's been, you know, it's been between – 91 and 92 miles an hour my whole career and tops out you know 94 95 every year it's always been the same how do I know that because it's been the same since I've been a a dang pup in 2000 when I was drafted I mean it's been the exact same I think when the Braves drafted me they probably thought they were getting this guy that throws you know 89 and 94 he's going to fill out and he's going to throw 100 well I filled out a, a, a little bit but I through the exact same you know it's just that's what my arm can produce and that's and that's what I've been able to do but it is fun I went into Colorado a couple years back and and uh just changing speeds on my breaking ball and elevating and 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 sinking fastballs and you know throwing some cutters just off the plate or just in off the plate and 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 working back to the corner it's it's fun to see a, a lineup that's very talented and a great hitting atmosphere get you know just worked by a, a guy just just crafty righty you know and but that, there's there's more to just pitching than stuff sometimes it's all about it's it's about competing and if you got a great competitor out on the mound, you can take that guy anywhere, and he's probably going to have some pretty good success. You know, I've watched you, and you've had those sort of games where, as you mentioned, Colorado, Dodger game last year. And then you've had those other ones where they were it was like they were launching mortars. I mean, they were hitting you pretty well, but you always had the com- same composure, same demeanor. All right, I, I got to figure it out. I know what I did wrong. I'll be ready next time. How much has that kept you afloat? Instead of being the guy that's having a pity party in the, in the locker room, you always have had the same approach, whether you got lit up or whether you were just dominating. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, at at the end of the day, being a professional athlete, being a, especially a big league pitcher, you're going to get your tail handed to you occasionally. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are good. You know, if if you're doing something just a little bit off, if you're throwing the ball in the middle of the plate or you're tipping your pitches or whatever it is. These big league hitters, they make you pay right away. And, you know, you can either, like you said, pout about it or you can learn from it and you can get better. And, and if, if you think that's who you are, 
if you think, oh man, I'm a guy who gives it up every now and then, and you know, this is, I'm just that guy. I'm gonna every now and then I'm gonna get torched, and you know, it's just I'm not that great. Then you're not gonna be a very good, you know, a very good big league pitcher, and you're not gonna stick around. You have to always think you're the baddest man on the planet. I think to get the most out of your ability, and especially for me, when I when I know deep down, I know I may not have the best stuff. Never have had the best stuff, but if you can get the most out of your stuff as opposed to a guy who maybe has incredible stuff but it's not getting all out you know anything out of it he's throwing the ball down the middle he's falling into bad counts he's he's hitting guys in the ribs he's you know the the catcher doesn't know what's coming so he doesn't know what to call because he doesn't know if a guy can control it or command it i mean there you know there's a there's a lot of different ways to get around not having quite the stuff of maybe a jordan hicks or somebody if you you've got stuff like i have which is i mean it's fine obviously you don't pitch it's in the big league while, yeah it's, it's it's not bad stuff yeah. It's just not the all-time greatest stuff. But if you can get the most out of your ability, um, if you can maximize every little bit of potential you have, then, you know, it, stuff is, is almost overrated. Final question for Adam Wainwright. You've been in this clubhouse for a number of years, and as we talked about, you've seen guys come and go. What guy in the clubhouse right now, what pitcher reminds you of yourself at, at, the, at a young age? Um, there's I, I could point to a couple of these guys. I mean – when I was Flaherty's age, I was that fiery. You know, I was when when you don't really see it on the mound. He's pretty he's pretty low key seeming on the mound. But if you're around Jack, you know he's an intense intense competitor, and he he goes borderline berserk sometimes. Um, and and I was that way a bit. Um, when I see Johnny Gant and his the way he's got he's got four quality pitches and can work up and down. And, um, he he's a lot cooler customer than I was though. He's a lot he's a lot more uh, mature than I was at that age probably. Um, you know I, I think there's a few guys in there that have similar characteristics, um, but you know when we get up to this level, if you can't compete, that's the main that's the main deal. It's it's all about everyone's got talent, everyone's got ability. Who's going to be go out there and, and be the best competitor? I see a couple guys in there that that are some incredible competitors. Jack Flaherty is a great competitor. He's going to, I think he's going to crush it this year. Um, I think, you know, a guy that's got untapped potential in there right now is Austin Gomer. Just learned a new slider, uh, which is filthy. He threw a bullpen the other day, and I thought, absolutely, without question, the best left-handed bullpen I've ever seen, ever. Not like with no close second, incredible stuff. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to blow up this year too. This has been fun. Why don't you try to have some between now and, let's say, November? I think that sounds like a great plan. Thank you, you, sir. Okay, thank you. Kickoff Cardinals opening weekend on Saturday, April 6th, when 30,000 fans age 16 and older are surprised at the gates with a mystery Hall of Fame parade bobblehead, courtesy of Ford. Will it be Ozzie Smith, Whitey Herzog, or Bruce Souter? Get your tickets today at cardinals.com slash promotions. Dan Farrell talks opening weekend and more with us next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren, right here on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show with Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby on KMOX. Welcome back to Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren. We are on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network, and it's always great chat with Dan Farrell, the Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing, who joins us on the program. Dan, does it feel like just over three weeks until we're at Bush Stadium? It does. It's coming fast, and um, it happens this way every year. Uh, the 
first uh, half of the spring kind of pokes along, and then the second half it, it flies by. So we're ready. Uh, things are going well here. Opening day tickets are are uh, uh, really moving fast. So uh, I think we're down to uh, probably only about a thousand tickets left uh, for opening day. So. If you're thinking about being here, uh, it's definitely time to make a move. Cardinals.com is where you go. That will be Thursday, April 4th, a 315 game against the Padres. Fun to have another Thursday game, make a whole weekend out of the opening home stand and the opening series, right? That's right. And uh, just a couple reminders for folks. The uh, ceremony will start at 2.30 uh, before the 315 game. And we're opening up the gates at noon. So, you know, there's plenty of time to get in, uh, get, come in and, you know, enjoy the atmosphere in the ballpark. Uh, don't wait till the last minute. Don't Certainly don't wait till a couple minutes before uh, 2.30 for the opening ceremony. And one highlight, Chris, is that, um, uh, as you know, all of our Hall of Famers uh, like to be here for opening day. And right now we we believe we have – commitment from all 16 Cardinal and National Baseball Hall of Famers uh, uh, will be in uh, uh, in attendance for opening day and part of our opening day ceremony. So it's really going to be special. We just feel very blessed that the, you know, the Hall of Famers put it on their calendar that being part of Cardinals opening day ceremony. And these are men that are working for other teams and have a lot of other things to do, you know, that uh, are, are carving time out of their schedule to be here. So uh, it should be a special day. And, again, the ceremony starts at 2.30 on that Thursday, April 4th. Wow, that will be so cool to see everyone. And you can go to cardinals.com. That is Thursday, April 4th against the Padres. But that whole weekend, some fantastic games and also some fantastic promotional giveaways. Right, Dan? That's correct. Uh, The Saturday, April 6th, the the day game against the Padres is uh, uh, the uh, popular uh, Hall of Fame, Mystery Hall of Fame uh, opening day car parade bobblehead. So, This year, it's going to be either Bruce Souter, Whitey Herzog, or Ozzie Smith in their Ford Mustang uh, with their their bobblehead uh, giveaway. And then Sunday, April 7th, is the uh, brought to you by Old Dominion Freight Line, the adult windbreaker. And that's a really nice uh, windbreaker uh, that will be given out to the adults, the first 30,000 adults. And then uh, the kids also get a free ticket voucher for a game later in the season. So, uh, again, April 6th and April 7th, there's some great promotions. Tickets are uh, – uh, I was just checking in the system. We've got tickets starting in the 15 to $20 range. So uh, it's really a, a great opportunity to come out early in the year and – Hopefully we've got great weather and it'll be a great opening weekend. Cardinals.com is where you go. The opening weekend, it all starts on Thursday, April 4th against the Padres and then all weekend. And you can check out the promotions as well at Cardinals.com slash promotions. We chatted with uh, Martin Coco last week and talked about the Budweiser ballpark pass. Dan, tell us how things are going with the ballpark pass. I know that fans love the fact that for less than 30 bucks a month, you can get into every game. Yeah, the uh, the sales started out strong. We we're up up uh, close to uh, about thirteen hundred uh, passes already sold for for uh, uh, the month of April. Last year, by comparison, uh, we had a total of seventeen hundred. 
So it's uh, obviously something that that our fans are are interested in, and I think the Budweiser Terrace uh, being a great uh, social space where fans can uh, gather and and you know get some really premium seating options up there. Uh, standing room options to, to enjoy the game. It's really made the Budweiser Ballpark Pass uh, a, a real fan attraction. Plus, they get access to the promo items. So uh, uh, it's it's definitely a, a great value for those that take advantage of it. And you know, we love having uh, you know filling up the ballpark in all areas with, uh, with with fans, whether they're in the seats or standing in the different standing room and Budweiser Terrace areas. Dan Farrell, the Cardinals opening up in just a couple of weeks, Thursday, April the 4th, that first game against the Padres. Great giveaways all weekend long, all year long. Get your tickets at cardinals.com. Also check out cardinals.com slash promotions. And you can check out the Budweiser ballpark pass at cardinals.com as well. Dan, we appreciate it. Can't wait to see you at the park here in a couple of weeks and warm things up for us. Yeah, and thanks for all your great work, you and Mike and the whole crew uh, who've put on this countdown to opening day show uh, from when did we start? Back on uh, December 1st or oh, so? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was it at the winter meetings. So we really are beginning to count down to opening day now. So uh, thanks for all your work uh, throughout the course of the winter and keeping Cardinal baseball um, front and center uh, through through the great show. Can't wait. Dan, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Chris. For the very best in Cardinals coverage, it's Cardinals Magazine. Subscribe today and receive two free tickets to see the Redbirds at Bush this summer. Order at 314-345-9000 or cardinals.com slash publications. Back to wrap things up on this week's edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren, right here on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Ameren, on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. We are wrapping up this week's edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren. The countdown officially on, as we are just two weeks Away from baseball, cannot wait to bring you Cardinals baseball season long right here on the Cardinals radio network. Don't forget, for the very best in Cardinals coverage, it's Cardinals magazine. Subscribe today and receive two free tickets to see the Redbirds at Bush this summer. Order at 314-345-9000 or at cardinals.com slash publications. All right, a big thanks to all of our guests tonight. We visited with Cardinals Adam Wainwright, Drew Robinson, and hitting coach Jeff Albert. Director of Performance, Dr. Robert Butler, Harold Reynolds, and Steve Phillips gave us their analysis. Plus, we chatted with Dan Farrell. Two weeks and we'll be in Milwaukee for the Cardinals and the Brewers to open up this Major League Baseball season, believe it or not, and still a lot can happen between now and then. So we look forward to being with you next week for our final edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren right here on the St. Louis Cardinals radio network. Who will be in the rotation? Who will fill out the roster? And who will step up and emerge, perhaps unexpectedly? It's all in the works, and we're going to have it for you every single day right here on the Cardinals network. A big thanks to Klaibs and Tom. Thanks to Ben Boyd, our executive producer, Mike Anderson, here in our network studios, and as always, Ann Carroll from the Cardinals Radio Network. I'm Chris Raby. Have a wonderful rest of your night. We'll talk to you one more time next week for Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren, right here on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.